Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. And take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to the book of Romans, chapter 8. And we'll be continuing tonight really where we left off last week, uh, talking about some of the wonderful truths in this chapter, which I've described them as basic foundational truths for the Christian life. Um, These truths remind us that we do live under the smile and pleasure of God. And God evidences that he is not a harsh uh, taskmaster, but that he is a gracious savior and a gracious God. And it is a joy and a privilege to be able to live for Christ and to be able to know Christ as our Savior and to be able to enjoy the fellowship that we do have with Jesus Christ. In the study here in the book of Romans, we began last week in chapter 8 with that great uh, declaration that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I I remind you, we said this last week, that statement comes, it begins with the phrase, there is therefore now no condemnation, which takes us back to chapter 7, where Paul has been describing the struggle and the battle, the wrestling he had with sin. And that struggle can sometimes be discouraging for us. That struggle can sometimes lead us to feel as though I have to somehow earn or merit my favor with God. And that's why he reminds us here that that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been saved. Uh, He says that we do not, uh, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death, Uh, that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for us. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So therefore, we do not bear that condemnation. We, we stand justified. We stand declared innocent before a holy God. And he ends that section in verse 8 uh, by saying then, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But then he begins the very next verse by saying, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. This section of Scripture, beginning at verse 9 through really verse 17, expounds upon the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. One of the evidences that we live under the pleasure of God. Uh, He evidences his pleasure to us in that he did not leave us in this world on our own to serve him in our own strength in the flesh. But he has gifted us with the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. It's interesting, the Holy Spirit throughout all this book of Romans is is not, until you get to this point, is not mentioned very much. There's only really a a, a few references to the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 3, Paul talks about how that he declared Jesus to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness. 
by the resurrection from the dead. Then in chapter 5, verse 3, he speaks of the love of God that has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And then he says in chapter 7, verse 6, that we, we are told that we should serve him in the newness of the Spirit, not the oldness of the letter. But now the Apostle Paul begins to explain what the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit means to us, to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And it's interesting because he uses three separate names or three titles uh, in, the, in the first couple of verses here in this passage. He refers in verse 9 to the Spirit of God. Uh, and later in the verse, he refers to him as the Spirit of Christ. And then he refers to him as the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead in verse 11. Those titles reflect the nature of the Holy Spirit as he is God, as he is the Spirit of Christ, and he is the one who raised Christ from the dead. But just as our proper understanding of our freedom from condemnation is an important foundational truth for the Christian life, so is the correct understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. A lot of false teaching, a lot of error uh, has been taught in regards to the person of the Holy Spirit. And so tonight we're going to look and see what is the role and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of one who is in Christ Jesus. I'd like us to read beginning at verse 9 through verse 17. Then we'll come back and we'll look at, I think there are three ministries the Holy Spirit uh, plays here that's that's described in these verses to those of us who are in Christ. Beginning at verse 9, he says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's ask God's blessing as we look at this passage uh, tonight. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts, our minds to see the truth of your word tonight. I pray that the spirit of God would use your word tonight to teach us great and wonderful truths from your law. I pray that you would help us to see your ministry to us. And Lord, that we might recognize just the wonderful blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. And I pray that you would just use your word tonight in in just a, a great way. I pray that you will 
empty me of myself, fill me with your spirit. I pray that you will take your word, apply it to each heart this evening. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin by talking about the ministry that the Holy Spirit plays to us, has to us as a believer. The very first thing we see here in the first couple of verses, uh, verses 9 through 11, is that the Holy Spirit's ministry is that of making us a new creation. Paul s- says here in verse 9 that if, any, if, if you're not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Paul states here very clearly that in verse 8, that in your flesh you cannot please God. But we are not in the flesh. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who uh, are not under that condemnation. We we have been made new creatures. Uh, He says that you are are not in the flesh, uh, but indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. One of the greatest blessings you and I have when you came to Christ was that the Holy Spirit came to indwell you to make you his home, to live within you, to, to empower you, to dwell you, to live in you, to witness to you. The Spirit of God indwells us. The Bible says in John 3, 6, Jesus said that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Sinful flesh can only reproduce sinful flesh. But the Spirit of God produces spiritual life. That's why Paul says later in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new, a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He indwells us. He makes us his home. We are new creatures. We are not just renovated creatures, uh, but we are new creatures. And he illustrates this by saying that that if you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's just, that's truth, that's reality. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you are not His. If there's no evidence of the presence and the power and fruit of God's Spirit, then you have no claim to Christ as your Savior. The person who has no inclination to avoid sin or desire to please God is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit and does not belong to Christ. Paul makes that very clear. That's why Paul said later to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. But on the other hand, if Christ is in you, he says in verse 10, though the body is dead, the flesh is dead, our spirit is life because of righteousness because of God's imputed righteousness to us. And that transformation is the work and evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life to breathe life into our old sinful flesh. People sometimes will ask a believer, an unsafe person will ask a believer, what makes you so different? 
Why is your outlook so different? Why, why is it that you have peace in this troubled world? What is it that is so different about you? And oftentimes I've heard unsaved people talk as though they're just they're trying to figure us out. They don't understand why do we have peace. It's because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. We've been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. This change is because of the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead. Uh, he talks about how in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 10, if, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. We are not in the flesh, so we do not, so, so God has given life to our our, 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 our bodies. We, we speak of resurrection power. Uh, this power has raised you from the dead and trespasses and sins and made us alive with Christ and has raised us up to sit in heavenly places, Paul said uh, in the book of Ephesians. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does for us is to make us a new creature. That's why we're different. That, that's our hope. That, 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 is, that is the foundational uh, to our walk with Christ, that we are, we are now in Christ, new creatures in Christ because of the work of the Holy Spirit. But secondly, the Holy Spirit not only makes us a new creation, but he does another very important work. He gives us victory over sin and temptation. In verses 12 through 13, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You and I, because we are now new creatures in Christ, are not under obligation or debt to the flesh. Old, the old sinful flesh is a harsh taskmaster that does not want to give up one of its slaves. But we are not in the flesh. So we don't have to live by its rules. He says, actually, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you don't kill sin, one old, older theologian said, it will kill you. It's not saying here that you will lose your salvation. But as a, as a child of God, if, if, you, are, if, if you, you have to take an active role in dealing with temptation. It's not the Christian's, the Christian's response to sin and temptation is not just passive. Now that I'm saved, I'll just sit back and let loose and, and let God. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. He, he's not saying that you lose your salvation. He's saying that Christians who are characterized by the things of the flesh are not true believers and are spiritually dead. And if he does not come to faith in Christ, he will die under God's final judgment. That's why this Scottish theologian said, if you don't kill sin, sin will kill you. Uh, we, 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 don't, we are not a debtor to the flesh anymore. We do not have to live by the rules of the flesh and the rules of our sinful uh, past. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
You know, Jesus taught us in the Gospels that if your right eye causes you to sin, he says, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body uh, to be cast into hell. Jesus was teaching, and I think is what same thing that Paul is teaching here, is that resistance to sin is something that we have to be very active in as a believer. And yet we have been given the power, the resources, because we are in Christ, we have been given the resources we need to resist that sin and to not yield to our old flesh. Uh, Paul spoke of it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. Verse we quote, uh, you've learned, you've quoted many times, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God has made a way of escape. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit to us is to assist us and to help us avoid and resist temptation. But there's a way of escape. You know, when if you've ever traveled over um, national uh, boundaries and, and borders... Uh, you've, you've seen this many times. There's a heading towards a border. Maybe it's heading towards Mexico. Maybe it's going towards Canada. I remember seeing this and we were in Singapore heading over uh, to Malaysia. You're on the highway heading for the border. If, 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 you're not intend, if you do not intend to go to the border, there are going to be a lot of off-ramps. There's going to be signs that says, Canadian border, 10 miles. Uh, Three exits on the sign ahead of you before you get to that border. And then by the time you get to that last exit, there will usually be a sign that says last exit before border crossing or something to that effect. So that you have warning, you have, you have opportunity to get off. And if you end up at the border and say, well, I really did not intend to come here. I mean, you look pretty foolish. Either you're asleep at the wheel or weren't paying attention or had no idea where you were because there was a way of escape. God has given to us a way of escape, multiple ways of escape. And I want to suggest some of the ways that God has made available for you to resist temptation. This list is not exhaustive by any means, but at least can direct you to some basic thought in this area. You don't have to uh, give in to sin. One of the ways he's given us of escape is to search our hearts and recognize just the truth of the presence of sin. The realization, the awareness of your sin nature should wake us up to the danger of temptation. The Old Testament, uh, he, he exhorts us to, uh, to uh, consider our ways. Uh, the psalmist asked the Lord to search his heart and see if there be any wicked way in him. Uh, 
he says in chapter 7, verse 21, that Paul said, I, I know that evil is present with me. In verse 18, he says, I know that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. We need to understand and we need to, we need to put aside pride because pride leads to destruction. To think that our heart is incapable of sin or that we are in some way positioned in our walk with God, that we, we are just beyond sin and beyond temptation. There really is little, if any, sin that, that almost any Christian can commit under the right circumstances. And we need to understand that. And we need to be aware of the fact that we, we, though we are saved, though we are not debtors to the flesh, we still are in the flesh. And, and we live in a sinful world. And we need to be aware and very, very honest with ourselves and be willing to examine our hearts and, and examine uh, ourselves before a holy God and ask God to search our hearts, recognizing uh, that we, we, do, we are tempted to sin and sin is present with us. We, we don't want to follow our hearts. Uh, we don't want to do what we think is best. You know, everyone's ways are right in his own eyes. But we need to be aware of the struggle we have with sin. Just being honest about that is a good first step. Secondly, the Bible exhorts us, especially in the New Testament, well, also in the Old Testament, but especially we have in the New Testament, to set our heart upon God. Colossians chapter 3 says, If you were then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. He says, for don't set your, mind on, uh, set your mind on things above, not on things of earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So that when Christ, who is our life, appears and you will appear with him in glory, we are to set our hearts, our minds upon things which are above. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. We're exhorted repeatedly in Scripture to seek after the Lord, to set our hearts upon the Lord, to seek first the things of the kingdom of God. So set your heart upon God. I think a third off-ramp we have in our life that guards us against temptation and sin is to meditate on God's word. Psalm 119.11, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man. In his law doth he meditate day and night. As a Christian, we ought to be, if we are aware of our sin nature, if we are set our attention on God, we ought to be driven to meditate upon the word of God. Prayer is another avenue. We can turn to. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, be serious, be watchful in your prayers. Uh, Hebrews 4, 16 says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to be people of prayer. It, it, it's, you know, someone has, has said that prayer can keep us from sin or sin will keep us from prayer. And if we have a heart that is sensitive towards God and are seeking God, we become very sensitive 
towards sin. Obedience to God's another avenue. Putting to death, the Bible says, the deeds of the body, he says here in verse 13. A growing part of, a part of growing in grace is the knowledge of Christ, strengthening the inner man. It's putting off the works of the flesh. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind, reaching for the things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit assists us and helps us to resist temptation. We are not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us in that is an evidence of God's grace and goodness to us in our life. But there's a third ministry to the Holy Spirit that may be even more wonderful than all these. He not only makes us a new cre creation, he not only gives us victory over temptation, gives us a way of escape, but he confirms our adoption as sons of God. He said in verse, um, verse 14, that for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I think there's about three ways here that he confirms uh, our adoption as the sons of God. He does it, first of all, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Why would we expect God to lead us? Well, if he is our shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture, then we would expect our shepherd to lead his sheep, our Savior to lead his children. But there are a lot of errors. There's, there's some great error that's taught under that truth, often misunderstood. Our Lord's leading is not by just subjective impulses. I think God told me to do this. Or I think God is leading me to do this. Professing Christians often do horrific and unscriptural things claiming that God led them or told them to do something. So if you want to say God told you to do something, you had better be ready to give chapter and verse. Uh, God is, God, but God does lead his children. So if, he, if he's not leading us through dreams and visions and, and extra biblical revelation, how does he lead? It says, it says here that we, if we, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So how does he lead us? Well, I think he leads us, first of all, through the illumination of his word. The psalmist said, open mine eyes that I may behold wonderful truths from your law. 
One of the ways God does lead his children is through the word of God and giving us understanding and opening our eyes to behold truth and understanding of his word. Now, let me just put a little barrier around even that statement. If, if God gives you illumination through his word, you will probably not be the only one who has ever seen that truth. If you are, or think you are, you're probably an error, okay? You're probably an error, most likely an error. But as the child of God is, is seeking to walk in the spirit of God, dependent upon the spirit of God, and in the word of God, meditating on the word of God, studying the word of God, God will open our eyes and understanding to truth that maybe we did not fully grasp and understand before. He will also lead us through faith. Proverbs 3, 4, and 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what? He shall direct your paths. Trusting God, trusting his word, living daily in dependence upon him, and he will lead us, he will guide us. How many times can we say as Christians where we have come to a place in our life where we, if you look back five years before, you said, I would never see myself doing this. I would never see myself in this position. But we trusted God, we obeyed God, we served the Lord actively, and we look back and we see how God led us. Oh, I see why I got that training in this area, or I see why the Lord put me here. We don't always know, we don't, can't always see that, but oftentimes we do. But we walk by faith, God leads us. He leads us through circumstances. Jeremiah 10, 23 says it's not within man to direct his steps, but God guides him. You know, in Acts 16, we have what's often called the Macedonian call, which was not a call to missions. It was a call directing someone he had already called as a missionary. It was directing his ministry. Paul wanted to go up into Asia, and he says there in that passage that the Holy Spirit did not permit us. It, it, it did not allow us to go, forbade us, forbid us to go. We don't know how, what that was. We don't know whether it was just circumstances. He couldn't get there. We don't know if it was financial. We don't know if it was just a deep, unsettled peace, a lack of peace about it. But, but he was not allowed to go there. And then, he, and then God directed him through this dream where he had this vision, this, this man saying, come over and help us in the Macedonia. God closed doors. He opened other doors. God leads us oftentimes in that ways. And then God leads us through wise counsel. In the, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Wise counsel, godly counsel. God will use in our life as we're seeking to follow him and serve him. He will guide his sheep. He will lead his sheep. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. But he confirms it also in a second way by giving us the spirit of adoption. It's an interesting statement. He gives us the spirit of adoption. You did not receive, verse 15, the spirit of bondage again to fear. 
but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We do not have in Christ, we are not saved unto a, in, into a bondage of fear. It's one of the most remarkable differences between Christianity and so many of the world's religions. So much of the world's religion is lived in the spirit of fear and bondage. And I thought to myself, how could I illustrate that for you tonight? And I could say this about many different religions and we could give many different examples, but I think this one picture really encapsulates what, what he is saying here. Look at the eyes. Look at the eyes. Fear that would keep women in such bondage, and men for that matter too, in such bondage. Lest my whole body has to be covered, except a little, little bit in the eyes. Now I could show you a picture of maybe JW standing on a street corner with a watchtower in front of them, you know, getting snarky comments and, you know, standing there and facing persecution for their, for the faith. I, I could show you pictures of people crawling upstairs in, on their knees to try to atone for their sins because they are under a spirit of fear and bondage. But God has not given us this kind of fear he has instead given us the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The phrase Abba is an Aramaic term for father. It, it, it describes a relationship. Uh, it, it does not have the lack of, it, 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 it is not characterized by a fear or an anxiety, or uh, not knowing the person. The, the, the Abba Father is, some have described it as, as the way we use the term daddy. I'm not sure if that's an accurate parallel or not. But it does describe a relationship. It describes a closeness. We have been adopted by our Heavenly Father. We have received the spirit of adoption. God has put us into the family. Uh, he has willingly done so. Therefore, we, are, we have a new relationship with him. Spirit of adoption. And then he confirms it in a third way by giving us the assurance that we are the children of God. This is an inner testimony, a confidence that the Spirit of God gives to us that we are his child. Now, in helping a new believer, I will often tell them that when we talk about assurance of salvation, this may be one of the last confirmations or last basis of assurance that 
we might receive because it usually is it usually is preceded by a life living for the Lord you know it's it's the Holy Spirit assuring us with confidence that we are the children of God when I was a young pastor I uh, we had a lot of elderly people in the little church I, I took over as pastor and there was a, an elderly lady uh, who had quite a wonderful testimony how God had saved her through the years and I won't go into all that but I I remember meeting with her and just wanting to hear her testimony and I don't remember how I said it but somehow I just I asked her how she knew that she was a Christian and I never will forget that she looked at me like Sonny <laughs> you know like you little young wet behind the ears preacher I just know it now with a lot of people out that would not satisfy answer my question but I understood what she, what she meant. She went on to explain, you know, I, I talk to him every day. I know the Lord. He is my savior. He is my friend. And she went on to elaborate. But those first words, Sonny, <laughs> I don't think she said Sonny, but she just said, I know it. I know it. That's what Paul's talking about here. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his child and if we are his child then we are heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ though we may suffer with him we will be glorified with him now it's true a lot of believers if they're not walking by faith, not walking in the word of God, not having victory over sin, will have this element of, their, of the spiritual ministry in their life not as evident. And because we get wrapped up in the things of this world, we lose sight the fact of, of what the Holy Spirit teaches us here. But if we are walking in him and walking in dependence upon the Spirit of God and allowing the Word of God to fill us and, and doing these things and, and allowing him to have his way in our life, then the evidence that he gives us is not just the spirit of adoption, but he reminds us here that as a part of that, that we are his children. Uh, we, we don't have fear. We, we know we see his leading. We see how he's worked in our lives. We uh, have the evidence of his working in our life. But then we just have this quiet assurance that we are children of God. And because we are children, we are joint heirs with Christ. So here's some questions to consider. Though the Spirit is also said to make intercession for us, we'll look at that later uh, in, in this chapter. But these are three primary ministries right here that he plays with us, towards us, to us. So ask yourself some questions. Does his Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? Do you know that he has made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
And if you then are a new creation, are you experiencing that victory over sin and temptation? Are you, are you seeing his hand leading you and shepherding you through life? Do you know him? Call upon him as your Abba Father. Do you have that relationship? This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us that, he's talk, that he describes here in these verses. He makes us a new creation. He gives us victory over sin and temptation. And he gives us the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. All of this is wonderful evidence that we live under the loving care and pleasure of the God that we serve. What a joy to be able to serve a loving God and not have to live under the spirit of bondage and fear. Our lives should reflect it. We should reflect it with joy. We should reflect it with peace. We should reflect it with a life of praise to the one who has saved us, the one to whom we are greatly indebted for all that he has done for us. Let's pray. Father.